And uh, this uh, morning, I'm going to continue on our series on legacy. And uh, of course, legacy is what a man leaves behind for the next generation. I think everybody wants to live, live a life of significance, and significance really is found in what you actually leave, leave behind. Uh, I want to tell you the old stories. And the reason for that is because there are many new people in the church who have not heard of some of the battles that we've gone through as a church, and, uh, and I, I think that if you understand some of the stories, uh, you'll get an understanding about DNA. I believe God's called us to be the tip of the spear, uh, an arrowhead, uh, an, a battle axe in his hand. Amen. And so I want to tell you a bit of the old story. Some of you have heard of these stories uh, before, so I ask you to be patient with me. Uh, but we're going to speak on possessing our inheritance. I want to begin with two quotations, the first by C.S. Lewis. Uh, and he said something extremely profound. He said, there is no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. Worth, uh, worth mulling over. The second quote is by Smith Wigglesworth. He said, great faith is the product of great fights. Great testimonies are the outcome of great tests, and great triumphs can only come out of great trials. We all want to have great faith. We all want to have great testimonies, but hey, come on, we got to believe God for the battles that we're going to go through as well. Well, this morning, I, I want to stand here and wish to announce to, to the church that we have just purchased a new uh, facility uh, located along, uh, along Jalan Sultan, which is actually the street of the king, and it's called uh, the Sultan Plaza. Uh, it was previously a bowling alley and converted into a very flashy and uh, rather raunchy nightclub. Uh, but we are now the owners. Today, Cornerstone has purchased four nightclubs, three pubs, and one massage parlor. I don't know of any other church in the world that has done this. And it's not something that we gloat over. And this is our calling. This is the grace that God has given over to Cornerstone. And every time we take over a nightclub, it's a big win for the kingdom. Amen. When you talk about what's a win for the kingdom, that's a big win. Because all that's associated with the nightclubs, you know, immorality, uh, drunkenness, drug abuse, um, fights, prostitution. All those are the junkie traits of a very bad family. And then to see a place of darkness being transformed into a house of prayer. Come on, it's a huge win. I think heaven rejoices. Amen. In uh, 31 years of full-time ministry, I can tell you this. Every time we purchase a property, there's always a lot of opposition, usually external. Sometimes there's a bit of internal dissonance. Uh, but whenever Jesus said, let's go over to the other side, you've got to expect weird storms appearing somewhere along the way. All right? So each step of faith is taken. Uh, you know, you're going to have some... Uh, resistance, and you know you're moving in the right direction when the devil uh, demonstrates an element of opposition. Amen. The writer of the Hebrews calls it con uh, enduring the contradiction. Come on, hallelujah. God has given Cornerstone a, a, a goodly inheritance. The lines have fallen to us on pleasant places. And in the principle in Scripture is that whenever God gives us an inheritance, it's going to be contested. You've got to fight for it. And the promise is, the Lord says, no man shall stand before you all the days of your life. That's, that's a promise that God gave to Joshua. Amen. And Jesus promised the same things to his disciples when he said, I will be with you wherever you are, wherever you, I sent you, and that's good enough for me. Amen. The Lord is with us. And the promise that God gave to Israel, of course, that he was going to give them a land flowing with milk and honey, a very, very uh, a wonderful land, a land unlike any other but there were squatters on the land, seven nations, greater, stronger, mightier than Israel. And the Lord says, don't worry, Joshua, I've got this, I've got your back. He says, uh, I am with you and I will fight for you. Amen. And so Israel under Joshua had to dispossess the enemies uh, and then finally inherit the promises of God. And it's the same with us. I, I don't know why we don't understand this. God has given us an inheritance. Then he says, now go and fight for it. Take it. 
Amen. It's yours. I will be with you. I will be with you in the battles. Amen. And every place that he has called us as a church to, to possess has been a battle. Has been a battle. And it's never been easy for us. And no one understood this better, I think, than King David in the Bible. And I want to just talk about this today, possessing the, our inheritance. David was an amazing man. He was a prophet. He was a priest. He was a king. He was a giant slayer. He was a poet. He was a prolific songwriter. But above all, he was a man after God's own heart. I don't know of any man in the Bible that had a passion for God like David did. But David was also a warrior. And as all warriors do, David fought the battles of the Lord. When he was a young lad, if you remember, he killed a lion and a bear. And a lion is an animal that loves to eat, and a bear is an animal that loves to sleep. And if you're ever going to be a warrior, you've got to overcome your love for eating, Singaporeans, amen. And your love for sleeping as well. And then uh, what David did in private, killing the lion and the bear, allowed him to qualify him to, f to, to, to kill a giant when everybody is watching. What you practice in secret, in private, for a long time will eventually be manifested. I think about those man hours on the sling, and then all of a sudden, one day he has to use it to kill a giant. And all of that preparation allowed him to come face to face and toe to toe with a the, with the monstrosity called Goliath. Nine and a half foot tall giant. But with one stone, David killed Goliath and Goliath had to go live down. Hallelujah. And after he killed Goliath, all of a sudden his fame went all over the place. I tell you this, my friends, if you have a Goliath in front of you, it's because there's a David on the inside of you. Every battlefield that you abandon, you lose by default. You only grow to the size of the giant that you, you become, that you grow into. Amen. And uh, never be afraid of the intimidation. Never be afraid of the obstacles in front of you. You've got to confront your, your fears. Hallelujah. Amen. And so David killed Goliath and then he went on to fight the battles of the Lord. All of David's life, he fought the battles of the Lord. Now the New Testament counterpart of, of David was Paul the Apostle. Paul was an erudite uh, Jewish scholar uh, who was well-versed with the protocols of the Roman Empire and the, and the Roman culture and also the Greek culture. But he got gloriously saved on the road to Damascus and he was a transformed man and he became the most effective member of the church of Jesus Christ in the last 2,000 years. Hallelujah. And he expanded the borders of the kingdom more than anybody else. And at the end of his life, he alluded to his life this way. He said, I fought the good fight. Our whole life is really a battle if you think about this. And we are called by God to face our enemies. David had two great battles in his life. The first was in one, 2 Samuel chapter 5. In 2 Samuel chapter 5, David was just crowned king over all of Israel. The Philistines heard it. They came down to a valley called the Rephaim, Valley of Rephaim, or the Valley of Giants. Israel had never won a battle in that valley. And they came there for one purpose, to kill David, because they never forgot the humiliation. 20 years ago, David humiliated the Philistines by killing the champion. And so they come to the valley of giants to kill David. David inquired of the Lord, shall I go after them? Will you give me good success? The Lord says, go, I will doubtless give you good success. And of course, twice in the valley of Rephaim, they came against David. Twice David went out, overcame the Philistines and broke something in the spirit. Hallelujah. There was an anointing for breakthrough that I believe that was upon David and upon this congregation as well. But you know, you can never win a battle if you're always defending your turf. They teach young boxers to fight. When they teach young boxers, they teach them to go on the offensive because, hey, come on, you can never win a battle if you're always defending. Jesus said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. It doesn't show me a church that's always defending. It shows me a church that's on the offensive. Hallelujah. 
You know, this, these, uh, these raiding parties were all like the militia. David would defeat them. They would go back, lick their wounds, regroup, come back again. David would defeat them. They would go back, lick their wounds, regroup, come back again. You can never win a battle if you're always protecting your turf. And that leads us to the second great battle that David fought. And this is 2 Samuel chapter 8 and verse 1. And it says that after these things, David attacked the Philistines and subdued them. And David took Matek armor from the hand of the Philistines. Now, this might seem an insignificant verse to you. But David goes for broke and he stops being defensive. And he goes on the offensive and he goes deep into Philistine territory. And he attacks a city called Matek armor. Now, Metek Arma is called the bridal of the mother city. This is the capital city. This is the operational HQ. This is where all the raiding parties came out from. This is the queen bee. Hallelujah. This is where the queen bee is. And so David goes for bro. He attacks Metek Arma. And once he takes the city, something breaks in the atmosphere because in the next verse, he goes after the Moabites and the Ammonites and all the cellulites. Hallelujah. Amen. No one could stand against David all the days of his life. But something happened because David took and broke the backbone of the Philistine army here at Metek Armor. And after the story, the Philistines were never an existential threat to Israel. Never. They lost their power. And David went, of course, from strength to strength. There is another story that illustrates this principle, uh, and it's Joshua. All the battles that Joshua fought in the wilderness were defensive. They were not out to fight with anybody. Why? Because that was not their inheritance, the wilderness. But the moment they crossed the Jordan River, every battle was offensive. And when the river opened up for them to cross over, they came up upon the most fortified city in all of Canaan land, Jericho. Jericho, and I promise you, when, when Joshua was looking at Jericho, he was not smiling. Because this was the fiercest city and the most fortified city of all of Canaan land, the most powerful city. Now, if I was God, I would open the river up to some small little village that they could obliterate in five minutes. Then maybe give them another village, a bigger village, maybe a town, a bigger town. I'll leave Jericho to the last because Jericho is the strongest. But God doesn't do that. When He opens the river, He says, I want you to face your adversary, the most powerful adversary, because if you take them down, everything falls like flies. Come on. It's like a domino effect. Jesus alluded to this principle when He said, if you bind a strong man, you can go in and plunder his goods. Come on, hallelujah. Hey, I'm preaching so much better than you're responding today. Come on. So here is David, and uh, so here is Joshua, and of course he is outgunned, outmanned, outnumbered, outmaneuvered uh, in every way. I mean, Jericho was almost impenetrable, and you know the story, they marched around seven days, seven times that seven day, and the walls of Jericho come tumbling down. And God gave them an amazing victory, and after that, he went on a rampage, man. He, he, went, uh, he fought 31 kings in their cities, and no one could stand against Joshua all the days of his life, because God gave him a promise. 1995, I was preaching in the church, in our church in um, World Trade Center Auditorium. Um, we had been using uh, a f different facilities, renting facility after facility. Our church was about maybe 400 to 500 people at the time. And I was preaching one uh, July Sunday morning, and uh, this is unusual because I think this happened only once or twice in my life. Uh, while I was preaching in mid-flight, the word of the Lord comes to me, almost like an audible voice. And the Lord said, I'm going to give you a building. I stopped the service. I said, my goodness, God just spoke to me. He said, he's going to give us a building. And people started weeping in the service. It was a very unusual Sunday morning. A few weeks later, I was, I was uh, reading an article by a man called David Wilkerson. 
David Wilkerson, of course, was the founder of Teen Challenge and the Cross and the he wrote the book The Cross and the Switchblade, which if you have never read it, you should. It's a classic, and many other amazing books. And um, great man of God, I I, tra I tracked his ministry for many years. David Wilkerson, at that time, this is in way back in the 1990s, was planning to retire in Texas. The Lord said, David, I want you to go to New York City. I have a work for you. He said, Lord, I don't want to go to New York City. I want to retire in Texas. The Lord says, go to New York. I don't want to go to New York. I want to retire in Texas. The Lord says, David, if you go to New York City, I'll give you a building that when you walk in, I'll take your breath away. And of course, God gave him the Mark Hellinger Theater, which is the flagship of Broadway. I think we've got a picture coming up. It's the most elegant auditorium, I think, in all of New all, all <laughs> that I've ever been in. My wife and I, we've been to the Big Apple on several occasions. And I tell you this, the moment you walk into that, that church, it's like, oh, it just takes your breath away. It's one of the most beautiful auditoriums I've ever seen in my life. Beautiful, gorgeous. And God gave David Wilkerson an amazing building right in the heart of Times Square, which is a, a, a testimony of his light and, and, and power in a place that's really very dark. Well, I was very... Uh, impressed by this prayer, very moved by this prayer. So I said the same prayer. I said, God, give me a building. You said you're going to give me a building. Give me a building that when I walk in, you'll take my breath away. A few weeks later, uh, an agent called me. He said, Pastor Young, would you be interested to come to see a nightclub? I said, okay. So I, I walked into this, this place, this nightclub. It was then called the Music Wall, the third largest nightclub and discotheque and karaoke uh, KTV lounge in Singapore. When I walked in, the first thing that greeted me was a bronze sculpture of a demon that was crucified on the cross. And then I saw a little head that's sticking out. You can see the picture of that, uh, Medusa's head. And then these, on these walls on the left and right-hand side of this hall was all these ugly-looking gargoyles. Uh, and then right on the stage, there were these cages. I wish we had a picture that I could show you where all the girls would dance almost without any clothes on. And as I was standing here watching all these things, I tell you this, I just, my breath just was taken away. And the Lord says, I'm going to give you this place. From the time he spoke to me, it was 18 months. And during those 18 months, there were so many battles. I tell you, some of them were almost insurmountable. There were nights I stood up on my bed hyperventilating because I could feel the pressure, demonic pressure that was upon us. One of the big obstacles was to get the tenant out, the music wall. They were squatting in this place. So I made an appointment to see the owner of the nightclub. I came to say, I said, sir, we want to buy you out from your lease because we're thinking of buying this property. He said, you buy me out. You don't buy me out. I'll buy you out. Very arrogant young fella. So I said, okay. We, we, then we started praying and saying, God, we need this nightclub out of the place. Well, what happened was that the government, uh, uh, there, was a, there was a drug ring that was syndicated, that was dis discovered in the nightclub. They were peddling ecstasy. That was the drug of choice in those early days. So anyway, uh, they, they discovered this drug ring. The police came, busted them, and one of the penalties was that they could not um, operate out after 12 midnight. Now, if you're in the nightclub business, I, I don't know, Winnie, you've probably be a bit more familiar with that. Uh, <laughs> if you've been in a nightclub business before, 12 o'clock midnight, that's when the business actually starts, right? That's when the action really starts. So they were really hurting financially. They called me up one day. They said, Pastor would you like to buy us out? One million, we'll sell everything to you. State-of-art sound equipment, lightings, uh, state-of-art projection system. I said, no, it's too expensive. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. A few months later, they called me up. 500,000 will walk away and sell, give you everything. You can take all the, 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 the everything in here in this nightclub. I said, no, not interested. 
Two months later, they called me again. They said, for 200,000, we plead with you, please buy us out. And I said to the Lord, what should I do? The Lord said, give them what belongs to them. Give them what they deserve. And so we agreed with $180,000. We, we, we acquired really the state-of-art sound system at that time, the projection system. And we, of course, acquired the uh, disco ball. I gave that to Pastor Lip. He still got it in his bedroom. <laughs> And that's how we took this place. Now, of course, those 18 months were essential because the second obstacle was we had no money. So 18 months, we tried to raise some funds. And at the end, I remember when we finally paid the 20% deposit, we only had $1,200 left in the bank and $300,000 worth of bills to be paid. How we survived in those days was a miracle, but we pulled through. God was with us. And here we are today, many years later. Amen. But, you, but we didn't stop there. Because there were, there were other nightclubs, and so we, we bought a second nightclub, and then a third nightclub, and then we took a pub, and second pub, and a third pub, and then we took a massage parlor, and then I realized one thing, God has given me an anointing for nightclubs, hallelujah. I don't know about you, but every time I see a nightclub, I see a potential church. And so we started praying in this neighborhood because uh, and, and, and in the last, what, 25, 26 years, I think we've seen over almost 50 nightclubs and KTV lounges closed in this area. This place was notorious. It was quite dingy, a quite seedy area. Today, it's snazzy, upmarket, and a pretty hipster place, man. Katong is very hipster. Now, we're God sending us to another dark area. And so, we started seeing the whole transformation. What I did not know was that this nightclub, Music Bowl, was the Mitekama of this area. It was the stronghold. But once we took Maytek, um, once we took this music, well, something broke in this atmosphere. I'm telling you this, we started praying and it became easier. One of the nightclubs uh, was below us, it was called Shalala, and you probably have heard this story, but let me just tell it for you, for the benefit of those who have not. Shalala was a nightclub and, um, and they had a very powerful sound system. Every time they cranked up the system, boom, 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 boom. The, the floor literally shook. One day, a guy came up to me and said, Lord, uh, Pastor, I feel the glory. The floor is shaking. Hallelujah. <laughs> I, I said, that's not the glory. That's Shalala. So I said, hey, guys, come on. We got to take Shalala. So we prayed. And for six months, we prayed. And, uh, and finally, one day, the owner called the church and he said, I want to meet the pastor. So I said, okay. So I go down to the nightclub and it was all smelling of smoke and cigarette. And I walked in and I was very intimidated. I didn't know what was going to happen. You know, these nightclub owners are all very tough guys, you know. So this man comes up to me, he says, are you the pastor? I said, yes. And I tell you, God is my witness. He knelt, goes on his knee, one knee, and he holds my hand. He says, you tell me, how do I become a Christian? Come on. Wow, I tell you this. I led him to Christ and I told him that uh, now that you're a Christian, you can't own a nightclub anymore. It's not possible. So that's how we took Shalala. Amen. It became a hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And so we started seeing all these nightclubs coming one by one. And I want to stand here today and I, I want to just say that God is giving us another opportunity, one amazing opportunity to be in a very difficult place, all right? He's never made it easy for us. I've always, I said this last week, I always wanted a place, you know, I wish we had some neighborhood uh, church where we can go to and we can design a, 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 a building that would be, uh, you know, with, with beautiful gardens and landscaping and a baptism pool where we can baptize people. And I don't know why God never allows us to do that. He's never made it easy for us. And so he's, we has, I felt the Lord sending us into this place it's basically for the Bugis congregation. 
And this, uh, this place is, um, uh, and I want to show you some pictures, right, uh, of this nightclub. This is Sultan Plaza, and it's right smack in between um, uh, Textile Center, which has another church, by the way, Hope Church, a great church. And then beside this is another building, a brand new building that they just uh, constructed. Next picture. This is uh, Club V6, right? Pastor Tim Chong is very, quite familiar with this place. I don't know. Uh, V6, quite a raunchy place, right? Yeah, quite a raunchy place. All right, next one. Uh, this is what it is now. It's, uh, it's completely bare. You can't find places like this in the, in the uh, central area, all right? This is huge, humongous, uh, and this is just perfect for us. All right, next picture. This is an uh, architect's rendering of the property. Now, I'm excited about this because, I, again, like I say, you know, I feel like this is what God is calling us uh, to do. In America, um, there was a very posh neighborhood, and uh, a man wanted to build a nightclub that was situated directly opposite a church. The church, of course, was very upset with that, so they went to the council to ask that they would decline the application for a nightclub. The council overruled them, allowed the man, and he built the nightclub. One week before the, during that whole period, the church was mobilized to pray that the nightclub would close. One week before the nightclub was due to reopen or to open, there was an electrical storm and a lightning bolt struck the nightclub and burned it to the ground. The, the man of the, the owner sued the church and said, you're responsible for this. This is an act of God. So the case went up to a judge, true story, went up to a judge. And the judge said, uh, man, I've got a bit of a problem. He said, I've got a nightclub owner who believes in the power of prayer. And I got a church who doesn't hell it. Because the church cannot deny, no, it's not us, it's not us. <laughs> Before I uh, came here, I was reading a story by Derek Prince. Derek Prince, of course, was, is one of the finest Bible teachers in our generation. He's going to be with the Lord. But Derek Prince told a story of how in the 1960s, he was a part of an eldership of a church in downtown Chicago. They were a corner lot church, and beside this church was a liquor store, and the liquor store was more than just a liquor store. They, had, they ran a prostitution ring, and also was a drug distribution center. So they were praying one day, having a prayer meeting, and this is in October, and Derek Prince said, I, I don't know what came upon me. It's like a warring anointing. He said, I stood up, and he said, I cursed that nightclub in the name of Jesus Christ. That's all. He sat down, and he forgot all about this. A few months later, just before Christmas, a phone rings at 4 o'clock in the morning. They said, Pastor Derek, you need to come down. The church is on fire. Well, it's cold in the morning in Chicago, at, you know, in, in, in December period, and um, minus 20, and so he puts on his jacket and rushes down with his wife. And as they were approaching, they could see billows of smoke coming up. And they said, oh my goodness. And they, as they approached the church, it was not the church on fire, it was the liquor store on fire. And by the time the fire was over, it was completely raised to the ground. And the ch police chief captain said to him, you, the, the man upstairs must really like you guys. Because the, the, the unit was like, not a single damage. And Derek Prince said, at that moment, he said, I didn't gloat over this. He remembered that he prayed a few months before. Curse this nightclub, Lord. He said, I didn't gloat over this. He said, I was fearful that God has given the church such authority on the earth. Now, of course, we don't go around, I curse, I curse, I curse, I curse. That's a <laughs> we only do it when you are, the Lord directs us to do it. When there's something, uh, something very sinister, very dark about a place.
Now, I call this message, if I could entitle this message, I'll call it the head of Goliath. Because that's what it is. When Goliath stood before the children of Israel and said, is there a man who can fight with me? There was not a single man in Israel that dared to challenge the, the, the giant. The only man strong enough to even have a glimmer of hope of overcoming the giant was Saul. Because the Bible says he was head and shoulders taller than everybody else. Man, that guy was a fighting machine. But he, of course, didn't want to fight with, uh, with Goliath. And so for 40 days, this giant taunted Israel. Is there anyone who, who would dare to come and fight with me? Finally, David hears this and takes up the challenge. He goes to see Saul and Saul says, Hey, you're just a youth. This guy has been a warrior since he was a youth. And David said, I'll take him. No worries. Let me leave it to me. So he goes down to the brook, finds five stones and uh, smooth stones, put them in his pouch with a sling, goes down to, to fight the, somebody. I heard somebody preach one time. He said, David took five stones because just in case he missed one, he still had four others. No, that was just baloney, right? He had five stones because Goliath had four brothers. And just in case they, all these giants wanted to interfere, David would kill all of them. Amen. So David goes down and he, with one stone and they said, David is too big for you. David said, he's so big, I can't miss, amen. He runs to the, the giant, one sling, and the, the giant drops down dead, cuts off the head of the giant. And you know what happened after that? All of a sudden, this mystery about giants, this fear of giants just dissipated because David killed the first giant and everybody said, these giants can die. Of course they can die. Of course they can. And after that was giant hunting season. Hallelujah. And all the rest of the giants were killed by, not by David, but by David's men. I tell you this, my friends, if you want to be a giant killer, you've got to hang around giant killers. Amen. You can't be an eagle if you hang around with them turkeys, man. Hallelujah. <laughs> and all the giants were killed. And something happened when David killed that first giant. Something broke in the spirit. Hallelujah. Amen. You know, in America, in the 1915, in 1915, there was a, in the U.S. military school, a military academy, which was a training school for officer cadets, there were 164 cadets that signed up for that year's cohort. And out of that 164 cadets, 59 made the rank of general. You can check this out in the internet. It's an amazing story. It's called The Class Where the Stars Fell On. 59 made the rank of general. Two of them became... Uh, Five-star generals, one of them, one of the five-star generals was Dwight Eisenhower, became the, 50, the 34th president of the United States. And then two made the rank of four-star generals, uh, seven made the rank of three-star generals, and then the rest were lieutenant generals and uh, brigadiers. They called the class the class that the stars fell on. So many of them became generals. And they wanted to find out, these psychologists, what was it so special about this class? Was it the instructors? Was it the, the quality of students? No, it was not that. It was the fact that they were in the middle of a war, World War I. And I tell you, there's something about us when we understand that we are in the middle of a war, that this Christian life is a conflict, it's a battle. Paul tells us to put on the whole armor of God. Hallelujah. I, you know, every day, we should, we should try. I, I don't do this every day because when I go to sleep, I don't take it off. Hallelujah. Okay. <laughs> we have to realize that this battle... This life is a battle. And at the end of, you know, Paul said something very interesting. He said, through much tribulation, we enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, I thought it was by faith we enter the kingdom of heaven. But what Paul was saying is that there are battles ahead of us and we must be prepared to, to have conflict in our lives. Amen. 
And every time, you, you know, all the greatest rewards in the Bible are for the overcomers. And you can't be called an overcomer unless you overcome something. Implied is the word overcoming is the word battle and victory and struggle. And so God has called us to be overcomers. Hallelujah. Amen. Individually and then corporately as a people. We're in a season like no other season. I'll tell you this. And I believe that God is calling the church right now to rise up in battle. There are four things that the Lord spoke to our prayer teams before, uh, before as I stand here, as I take this to a landing. He said, number one, he said, if you will go over there, I will give you a great harvest. Number two, what you prayed for for a long time for the young people, I will give you many young people in this place. Number three, he says, I promise that provision will be provided for this property. And number four, I believe that there is a promise of victory in this building. Hallelujah. Amen. I, there are obstacles along the way. And I want you to pray for me and pray with me. You know, this is the 25 years, 26 years in Cornerstone. This is the first AGM, first AGM where we had 400 people and there were five people that opposed this purchase. First time in our history that there were people that said, no, we're, we're opposing this. So I'm appealing to the people that are opposing this, that are not sure about this, please come on the boat with us. I promise you this is God's, God's purpose for our church. Amen. And you know, our Bugis congregation is very excited. They realize that they're going to have a new place. You know, sometimes we don't appreciate this, you know. You go, for our Bugis congregation, you know what time they start? 6.30 in the morning. While you're all sleeping, 6.30, they're packing all the things, moving up the things, getting ready, setting up everything. We have no storage there. We have to, we have a rent to, have, to have to rent a storage facility. And people don't know these things. They don't know that our staff are all on, on deck at 6 o'clock in the morning, getting ready for this. And sometimes we don't appreciate all the people, and I think we should show them our appreciation, all these people that get up at 5 o'clock in the morning just so that you guys can enjoy the service, man. And I know what it's like because when we first started the church, all of us were up at 5.30 in the morning getting the things ready, sound system, and getting setting up and all these things. Part of renting a facility, this is what happens. But I thank God that God's given us spaciousness. Rehoboth, hallelujah, amen. And again, I want to say that if we will stand, stand with me on this. I know that some of you still have many questions. Ask the questions, talk to your leaders, talk to your pastors. But I, the Lord said it's very important that you have singleness of mind in Cornerstone. That we're of one heart, one mind, one soul concerning this. And if we are one, there's nothing that, that the Lord would not do for us. Amen. Let's all stand. I want to close in prayer. Hallelujah. Oh, I tell you what, is it okay if you just sit down for one more minute? I just want to show you one video, all right? I, uh, this was sent to me by Brother Sadhu Sinda Salvaraj. She's a dear friend. Uh, and this is a CBN report on Europe. It's a, it's a seven-minute long video. I've cut it down to just one minute uh, just to give you a bit of the gist of this. All right, so just watch this and then we close and pray. America owes its Christian spiritual heritage to Europe. But Europe today has largely turned its back on the faith and is returning to its pagan roots. Dale Hurd has the story from London. Martyrs Free Church in Edinburgh, part of the history of Christianity in Scotland. Today it's Frankenstein, which describes itself as both a family-friendly venue and a place for stag parties and bar-top dancers. This is St. Paul's Church in Bristol, England. It's now a school for circus performers. And in Linera, Spain, the Church of Santa Barbara is now Chaos Temple, a skateboard park. 
But before you get angry with the owners of Frankenstein, understand that Europe today has more empty church buildings than it knows what to do with. Because Europe is, by and large, no longer Christian. These are the remnants of a lost civilization. Christian civilization. It was once at the very heart of European life and culture. Those days are long gone. Among the British, belief in the Christian God has plummeted. The, the trajectory is very clear. Something like 70-75% of British under 30s say they have no religion. Theologian Stephen Bullivant, author of Mass Exodus, says Europe's move away from Christianity is accelerating. People often ask me, especially in the Catholic Church, it's kind of, you know, what can we do to kind of bring everyone back, you know? And half serious, I, I always say, well, invest in time machine technology. All right, praise the Lord. Let's all stand up. I'd like to just pray. Well, this cannot ever happen in Singapore. Amen. We just got to contend. We just got to believe God for, for uh, a grand harvest at the end of the age. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, I just am burdened for Europe. Lord, I, I, I know God that once, which was once a Christian, uh, the whole European continent, Lord, the gospel shine, Lord. There were all these great missionaries that were sent forth, Lord. The Wesleys and the Amy Carmichaels and the George Whitfields and the George Careys, Lord. And all the other great men and women of God that were sent forth, hallelujah. The Evan Robertses, Lord, the Reese Howells, Lord. Woo, hallelujah, Lord. They have such a rich heritage, but all of that is slowly fading away. All of that is, is, uh, is waning down, Lord. And I pray that this will never happen in Singapore, God. That the church in Singapore will be on fire, hallelujah. Come on, everybody, just pray in the Spirit for a few moments. I just want to decree over the house of God here in Cornerstone, hallelujah. In the name of the Lord Jesus, in in the name of the Lord Jesus, possess thy inheritance. Lord, I pray for singleness of spirit, Lord, in this church, Lord. Let us be one heart and one mind, O oh God. Let there be no division, Lord, whether it's, the, whether it's the issues of vaccination or whatever issue, God, that we will never be divisive in this church, Lord. That we will have one heart, Lord, one heart, and we will, and love will prevail. You know, my friends, when you stand before Jesus, He's not going to take a measuring tape and measure how big your head is he's gonna take a measuring tape and measure how hard how big your large your heart is hallelujah amen it's not how much we know it's how much we love so I pray father in Jesus name as you send us Lord to a very dark area we pray again Lord that you will give us all the miracles Lord that we have seen in the last 25 years here in this area Lord we've seen a place transformed by the power of God and we know Lord that the, the new businesses will start coming in family oriented businesses will start coming in Lord things are going to change things are going to shift but I also want to hold you fast Lord of the promise Lord of a great harvest that is coming hallelujah and for the young people in this generation Lord I pray God that that facility would be a hub for young people hallelujah Lord we're going to see the youth of our generation come into the kingdom of God come on decree it right now speak it in faith hallelujah Father I thank you God that you're doing something in this nation we're seeing so many many nightclubs run out of business Lord because of the COVID and I see the hand of God in this Lord I see the hand of God in this hallelujah hallelujah 
while you're standing, I want to just close with one more thing and then we're going to close in prayer. This is the inspiration was when I met a man many, many years ago. His name was Reinhard Bonke. And Bonke told us this amazing story. He was invited to a church in South Africa called, in, in a place called Kimberley, where the Cullinan diamond mines are. And he was there in a church, 200 people. It was a very small meeting. And he said to the, to the organizers, where are all the young people? They said, we'll show you. They drove him into the center of the city, throbbing lights, neon signs, all the, all the discotheques. They said, that's where all the young people are. It was jam-packed with people. They said, Brother Reinhardt, would you like to go inside? He said, no, I'm a man of God. But the Holy Spirit said, I want you to go in. I want you to see something. He goes inside. He says he sees thousands of young kids dancing and with the troubling music and the like. All kinds of things happening. But I tell you this, my friends. He saw the emptiness of the souls of the young people. And God so burdened and as he was standing there. He said, would you allow me? Tell, tell, could I meet the owner? He said, why do you want to meet the owner? I want to preach here. He said, that's never going to happen. But you know, he was so insistent that they brought him to see the owner whose office is at the back of the discotheque. And he walks in and the owner was there. Shandaraba Sanda. Oh God, speak to us Lord today. He goes to the back of the, uh, he meets the owner and he tells the owner that he wants to preach. The owner says, that's never going to happen. Then he tells the owner what he said, I saw. I saw the emptiness of these young people. Please allow me five minutes. The owner's heart was moved. He said, tomorrow midnight, I'll let you speak five minutes. I'll, I'll turn off the music. you got five minutes and that's it. Next night, Reinhardt at 12 midnight stands up. The, the DJ such, shuts the music and he's preaching. Five minutes. Two minutes into his preaching, he hears sobs of people in the nightclub weeping. And the Lord says, give an altar call. He gave an altar call. Many hands were raised up. And he left the meeting that was it, five minutes. One year later, he was in Kimberley and they said, Reinhardt, we want to show you something that will surprise you. So they go down to the very nightclub that he preached and instead of the neon lights, there was a white cross. And he said, this nightclub, when you left, ran out of business and now it's now, become a transform into a church. But he said, that's not the surprise. And they brought him into the nightclub and he saw all these people worshipping. And one of them, one by one, they came up to him, the brother Monke, yeah, I was there on the night that you preached. And I gave my life to Jesus. And another one said, I gave my life. The DJ came out. He says, I'm the DJ of the night. I gave my life to Jesus. And I, this, these stories, my friends, inspire me. These are the stories that inspire me. Oh, I want to do something for Jesus. I want to live, leg, lay down a, my life and I want to live a legacy for His kingdom. Hallelujah. So Father, in Jesus' name, I pray God that there'll be not a person in Cornerstone that will be lethargic, Lord, or apathetic, Lord, that everybody in this church, Lord, will fulfill the will of God for their lives. I pray God that they'll get serious about Jesus, oh God. I pray that you will stir the hearts of the people here, Lord, and grant to us our inheritance hallelujah grant to us give us our inheritance i pray the prayer of jabez enlarge the place of our tents lord oh enlarge me enlarge me enlarge me oh god stretch out the curtains of our habitation lord stretch them out lord stretch them out lord give us more souls give us more people lord give us more territory lord and we ask this all for the honor and the glory of thy name Jesus Christ, the, the, the Redeemer and the Righteous. Hallelujah. We honor you and we bless you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, now bless this congregation, we ask. And everybody said, Amen. Let's give God a big praise. Amen. Hallelujah.
you've just listened to a production of Cornerstone Community Church. Please note that all unauthorized reproduction, distribution, or sale of the recording is prohibited. For permission to reproduce or distribute the sermon, please write into mail at cscc.org.sg. We hope that you have been blessed.